Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How would you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset, and that's when you can reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. Look, it's summertime. Transfer window is coming up. It's gonna get crazy. So if you ever just wanna, again, take a step back and relax, read the transfer rounds, read the gossip rumors, grab a Coors Light. It'll be perfect companion for all those transfer merry-go-rounds. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. The mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when the beer is cold. That way you always know when it's time to chill. When you need to hit reset, just open a Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Now that it's finally hot in Minnesota, I'm gonna be looking for an easy beer to drink, and Coors Light is perfect for that. It's lagered, it's cold filtered, and it's cold packaged. It's, again, made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies perfect for a moment to unwind and so when you want to hit reset reach for the beer that's made to chill get coors light in the new look delivered straight to your door with drizzly or instacart coors brewing company golden colorado and as always celebrate all right so you're listening to this podcast right now london is blue and guess what we host our podcast on anchor.fm that's right if you're looking to host your own podcast this is the easiest free way to get started. This has got a content creation tool allows you to record and the podcast right from a phone. That's right, don't even need a computer, but you can do it there too. They'll also help you distribute it, which is probably the most challenging part. You don't want to have to mess with that. They got you covered. You can get it right on a Spotify and Apple Podcasts as well as any other place podcasts are found. And you know what? You can monetize it too. Make a little cash for sharing your great content with the world. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one individual place. So you know what? Head over to your app store, download the Anchor app, or head to anchor.fm to get started if you're ready to launch your podcast and make it happen. This is Cesar Pliqueta. This is William. This is Ali Riley. Hi, this is Ruben Loftus-Cheek, and you're listening to the London is Blue podcast. Welcome back, Chelsea fans, to another episode of the London is Blue podcast, your home for all things Chelsea FC. Dan, Mike, Nick, and myself cover all of Chelsea's latest matches, team news, and even throw you some exclusive interviews. Thank you for being an awesome listener, and with no further delay, let's jump right in. And welcome back, Chelsea fans, to part two of this week's London is Blue podcast. If you missed part one, definitely go back and check it out. We had Joe Tweeds on, and he was just rambling on about how we need to sack everyone, start over, fifth division. <laughs> it was great. You won't want to miss it. Joining are we us, starting with Mike? <laughs> joining us in part two is Joe Tweeds and Mike Flynn, as long with Mike and Dan. Uh, I kid, obviously. Two Mike, Mikes, huh? My, oh, Nick, Mike, Nick, Nick's Dan, not a part of the Joe. show. Uh, cool. it's been a while. Anyways, guys, uh, Mike, welcome to part two. Uh, usually you like to start this episode with some grievances. So what could we have possibly annoyed you with in part one? You know, I think, I think my biggest issue was with Dan's comment about, um, the hard tackles and, and keeping cool. I think, um, when you're playing at that level and referees are not protecting you, you know, in, in hockey, there's a reason why they have enforcers. You have a rink, you can't escape checks and stuff like that. And and what, what, what we're seeing is that if you do not stand up and if you don't tackle back, it's going to continue to escalate. And and I don't care who you are, but when you're getting those kind of tackles, it, it's not about like, oh, let me just keep calm. You need to defend your teammates and stand up. And 
you know, in days of old, Terry and everyone else and, and other infor- Balak would be putting in tackles to make sure to try and calm shit down that a referee's, you know, letting go. So I think that, um, you know, I, I disagree from my playing days, you know, all through them. When people are putting on tackles like that, you need te- players on your team to step up and, and to, to fight fire with fire. And, you know, thank God we didn't get any red cards and, and play down a man, um, you know. Uh, you know, so that, that's that's my two bits. There it is, Dan. Rebuttal, counterpunch. Oh no, I feel good about my my claim. So All I'm right. just going <laughs> to reject that and move forward. All right, easy enough. Uh, so, uh, Joe, in case you're unfamiliar, all we do in part two is we take questions from the lovely community of Chelsea fans that engage with us. And if you, Joe, would like to get your questions on our show, instead of being a guest, you can just go support us on Patreon and you can get your questions there or hang out in our Discord server. Otherwise, you can roll the dice and submit them via social media. So right off the bat... Aerith Muggle, Shane coming at us. I'm not into this, but I'm going to see what the team wants. He says, oh, well, Brandon, Brandon, Brandon. Oh. You have you, to you recognize the momentous moment of this podcast episode. You completely oh, bypassed real? it. Uh, okay. Yeah, right. It's 100% real. I was not joking. <laughs> Side note uh, for all of you out there this is our 300th episode on iTunes. So a cheers and a, an applause to that. Uh, what Yay. a run. Yay. All right. Incredible. That was, <laughs> some of us have been here for all 300, some have not. <laughs> all right Uh, a great a great moment thank you all for listening to us for 300 episodes you guys are awesome we're going to continue to rack up the milestones season goes on and we'll survive every manager at chelsea (laughs) and if you haven't listened to all 300 please start going back and listening we would appreciate that uh all right shane first question says maybe you think this is ill-timed with trophies and stuff on the line aka top four so feel free to put off until the end of season but i want to know what the london is blue podcast starting lineup is for the first game of next season assuming a you can bring back any lone player b and nizard is gone c cho is hurt and d everyone else is healthy including pulisic any formation you like i'm punting i'm punting so far oh man uh, i appreciate your scenarios but i so, so this is assuming the transfer ban is on at right because it doesn't look like we can bring you know, bring anyone else into the squad that isn't there or on loan he didn't, he didn't stipulate that so i'm gonna yeah. say that yes we're able to sign players but he didn't tell us how much we had yeah look i, I actually think he's saying we don't uh, by like I, I would yeah, agree. So like, let's just leave it there because at least we're all picking from the same pool of players. Um, so maybe that'll be easy. I will go first. Uh, I think obviously Keppo will continue to be the man behind the stick or between the sticks. Um, my guess is that uh, Reese James will not be ready to start it right back. So I'm gonna go that we'll have Dave Rudiger, Louise, and Emerson as the back line. Um, midfield will likely consist of Ingolo Conte, Ruben Loftus-Cheek, and ugh, I don't know if I want to put Jorginho back there or not, because I don't think Sorry will be here. Any formation you like too. So if you want to change the formation Ooh, to like yeah, a four-four-two, I'm, I'm going. I'm going four-two-three-one then, because uh, I think that's probably where we're best suited. So Maurizio so, Sorry is gone. He Thank is gone in, in, in mine. So. <laughs> Uh, then I would go, so I'd have Ruben and Conte in the in the two, and then I would go Pulisic. 
man, with with Hazard gone, this is a challenge. You'd probably go Willian and Pedro. I don't know what else we got because Calum's not going to be there. And then up front, uh, assuming we bring back Giroud for another extension, then he would be my forward. That's that's not a great team. Sorry, sorry yeah. to disappoint. No, <laughs> can I can I yell? No, some no you're not you're not disappointing. I mean, Reese James, you're playing the game. I'm interested in him joining the yes. squad. I'm interested. It's 100%. just like day one. Is he going to start out the game? No, I don't think so. No, but well, in the squad, this is this is why we bring in a specialist for these type of questions, and so we bypass talking oh, to Joe geez. first to hear Nick's interesting lineup. So, Joe, can you provide a, maybe a better analysis than our uh, Dan, blue-bearded friend? <laughs> Dan, Dan, way, uh, way to go on your on stalling so you can think of different options. Well done. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Go ahead, um, Joe. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm similar. I, I change the formation straight away. Um, probably play a 4-3-1. And I'm going to cheat a little bit, and I'm going to say Hudson Doy, we're sort of in December, and Hudson Doy is fine because I want him in the team. Um, I'm going to go Kepa. I'm going to go Reese James at right back because I think he's he's the best right back that we have. I'm going to go with Kurt Zuma and Rudiger as the two centre backs. Uh, I'm moving Azpilicueta over back back over to left back for one more season. Um, pivot. I'm just going pure physical ball winners. I'm going to bring Bakayoko back. Hopefully the Milan form carries over. If it doesn't, sell him in January. I'm going to put him next to Angelo Kante in front of the back four. And then my three will be Pulisic on the right, uh, Ruben Loftus-Cheek playing as a 10 slash number eight, Hassan Dodoy in the left, and then Tammy Abraham leads the line up front. That's my slightly more exciting youth-based team. Yeah, but you already cheated because Pulisic's not going to be, or uh, Cho's not going to be ready for the first game of the season. <laughs> I mean, yeah. So, yeah. I, yeah, I mean, I think cheated. it's interesting, though, especially, like, the whole setup and how everything's going to flush it out. I mean... You know, Shane, there are so many variables. I even talked about it last episode. I am, I'm avoiding this summer with Chelsea completely. I am not ready to take on that amount of stress. I would honestly hate to be in the club and having to deal with this stuff uh, going into the summer because you have to come out as winners. I mean, it doesn't matter. Transfer ban potentially, new manager potentially, doesn't matter. It's Chelsea. You you come out and, and you win, and that's what you have to do. So, uh, man, so, so much going on. I think Tweeds, um, you've got a, an unbelievably young squad. Um, it would be interesting to see. I give it that. It'd be interesting to see. Uh, next one from Mr. Underscore Thurman saying, Oh, man, I've thought about this approximately 100 times per week since the ban was announced. I also have 0% confidence that Sari and I would pick the same team. Does backing into top four save Sorry, Basically, if we stumble into Champions League football, is that good enough? Is less points than Burnley since January what counts for success now? All of those were questions. I mean, look, at Con6 says, Sorry stays, question mark. At Thomas Pullen 77 on Twitter saying, Do you think Sorry is the right man to take Chelsea forward, even with a frozen transfer ban, assuming we can register players? And Andrew... Termer saying we are miles away from looking like Napoli. Our away record is appalling. The one player, sorry, begged to sign is performing worse than Morata or Torres. Bold statement. And the mentality of every great Chelsea side of the past is missing. Why should sorry stay even with Champions League football? Dan, no more punting. Maurizio, sorry, stay or go. Well, the only thing I would say is I'm surprised if you could bring back any players 
Olaena did not make it into either of your sides because I think he would have been a good shout to come back into our side too. Um, if, you know, automatic bids and buys were not a part of the situation. Uh, I would say that no, backing into top four uh, and then also not winning Europa League, which is a, how I'm going to preface it because the way that Thurman seems to indicate here is that all he's done is gotten into top four and that we didn't win Europa League, uh, did not fulfill on his commitment and his mandate for this season, which was to get us back in Champions League football and win some type of trophy and then also hopefully improve several players, right? You know, because he is a coach and he has talked about how he coaches players up. And I would argue that there are not many players who are better off now than they were at the beginning of the season. You know, I actually think there are many players who have regressed. Part of it is age, part of it's declining form. But I don't know if, you know, how many players can you point to, Mike, that are better off today because of playing under Mauricio Sarri than they were at the start of the season. And I think maybe N'Golo Conte is probably the first and only one that comes to mind yes. for me. And then I think maybe tangentially Ruben Loftus-Cheek as well. But I think part of that's also just him getting playing time and more down to the fact that he is just a very, very good footballer and just needed to get more time underneath his belt. Cool. Uh, thanks for asking and answering <laughs> that question in the same breath. It's an impressive skill because um, I want to make sure no, I give you the right you know, answer before you answer. Yeah. 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 Thanks. Uh, now, you know, I think regardless of, of what happens, I think we'll see a parting of ways. Um, one, because I don't think that I, I just see it hard the, the, the way the supporters are embracing him and it just feels very toxic right now to me. You know, if, even if we win the, the Europa league, what happened to the last manager who did that for us as well? So, um, I think this is very tough. Uh, I don't think that, um, in what should have been a, a, a building year, um, I know it's it's been a very difficult s- season to stomach, uh, especially talk about for multiple hours <laughs> after every game. But like I said, you know, if if we fast forward to a time in which we finish in top four and we win the Europa League, and we look at w- how the fan base has reacted to the manager, and you know, kind of the overall feeling at the club, that's a pretty shitty place to be in. Because we would have accomplished some significant goals, and 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 regard, you know, I know we're talking about backing in, and nobody deserves it, nobody finishes it, you know, all that matters. And and, and again, I, I know it's a bit of a an Arsenal view. All that matters is that we finish in fourth, and how we get there, and everything else is going to suck, and it's a lot to talk about, and and things can be corrected. But end of the day, us finishing. Um, and and having Champions League football next year, and and more importantly, having uh, most like hopefully a summer transfer window. Um, I think those are the two most important things to us. And but I, I don't think that sorry uh, is, is managing the team in this this upcoming summer. Hey Tweeds, if we win the Europa League and fall into top four, however we end up there, would that change your opinion of Maurizio Sarri, or are you saying? Hey, we tried it, but irregardless of how the last... Irregardless. <coughs> regardless. Yes, it's Nick. Classic. Multiple it's a classic, syllables. It's a, it's, a classic, <laughs> it's a classic not word, but go for it. Sorry. Where are you at, Tweeds? Um, I, I mean, I think from a, from a logical standpoint, he, he, he has to go. And the reason I say that is I, I think for, for Chelsea to put together a team that potentially can play this this sort of side of football. 
maybe looking at hundreds of millions of pounds worth of investment into into players. Um, you know, it, it requires, particularly in the Premier League, we see with sort of City and, and Liverpool, uh, you know, really, really sort of significant investment in key areas and key positions. You know, City threw what 150 million pounds at three fullbacks just to sort of give them, you know, some sort of variety and option and optionality to to play um, the sort of football that, that Pep Guardiola wants to. So, on the basis, I, I don't think he's he's ever going to get the level of investment um, needed to to put together a team that's competent in his style of football. I, I don't think he should remain. Um, you know, you look at the, the whole sort of season as a whole and I think his his tenets of, uh, of being sort of very inflexible and dogmatic to his own approach. I don't think he's necessarily respected the differences in Serie A in the Premier League um, and, and he continues sort of down this path of, and style of football, which, you know, is it, not really sort of, you know, kind of getting the results potentially that I think he, he would want or in the style and manner that he would want. And then I, I think lastly, the thing I look at is just, just the style of players that he he thinks are needed at Chelsea. You know, I think personally, I don't think Jorginho has been very successful. I think he's a good player, but I don't think he's he's particularly great at Chelsea. He doesn't fit us. Um, potentially doesn't fit the Premier League in terms of how he plays. Um, the the clamouring for Gonzalo Higuain was always strange to me. Um, and the fact that he, I've even seen some quotes today that he says, oh yeah, don't worry, next season he'll score loads of goals here when he's going to be like, what, 33 or something and still sort of, you know, 33 kilos overweight um it 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 just it just doesn't work for me in the more that i think about it the more that i piece all the bits and pieces together um i just see it as yeah great if you can get us in the champions league thank you very much but i think chelsea probably need a a different direction one that's a bit more realistic to the to the sort of level of the squad the sort of the the, the kind of where we are at the moment and then you know, I think it's a question of, of then trying to sort of rebuild under someone a little bit more flexible, let's say. Um, but yeah, I, I wouldn't want him here next season. You know, it's um, perfectly bridges us into the next question from at crying crypto saying alternatives to sorry. Do you see any chance of a boardroom shakeup? Look, I hate the burst your bubble. There's a 0% chance we have a boardroom shakeup because the Romans board. Those are the people he wants. It's not like anyways. Um, but Joe, we were WhatsApping recently because mm-hmm. we're BFFs, if I can brag. <laughs> um, you had an interesting <laughs> shout for a next manager that I love, Chidge, but it's not Eddie Howe. <laughs> it's not Eddie Howe, yeah. Um, the, the guy that I really like at the moment is uh, Sergio Conte Sal at Porto. Um, I think he is kind of the, 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 the right balance between wanting to play sort of attacking, aggressive sort of vertical football and being sensible in the approach, you know, and by sensible, I mean, one of the things that I've said multiple times this season about Sari is, you know, the, the amount of players that we commit forward in attacks, but, you know, you don't, you don't put eight, you know, seven players ahead of the ball, for example. Um, and, and it's something that he does regularly. As soon as we lose possession, you know, you're, you're straight on Jorginho, you're straight on Luis and Rudiger. Um, I think that there's, there's examples even this season where we've had, I think Jorginho, let's say 10, 10 metres outside of the opponent's penalty area and every Chelsea player, bar um, Louise and Rudiger, are in, this, are in that particular screenshot. So again, you know, when we eventually lose the ball, the counter-attacking opportunity for other players is, is enormous. So, you know, I, I want someone who can be sensible and pragmatic and, 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 and be able to play on the counter-attack and be able to realise other team's strengths and be able to counter them. And I think Sergio Conceição is, is, is a very, very interesting prospect in that respect. You know, we look at... Um, Nuno at, at Wolves, you know, when he was at Porto, he was unable to win the title, but but Conte Sal did, 
largely with the with the same squad, and that was after selling some of their key players as well. So I think he's a good fit. Um, I think he would get the Premier League. I think he's uh, someone who, at least tactically, is is a very very flexible. Isn't going to play the same system every week with the same style, and, and you know just hope that it eventually sort of comes into fruition. So, you know, one of these maybe off off the kind of or, or outside of the box managers, but we've we've often gone to Porto for for managers in the past. Um, I think that the other option is is maybe one a little bit closer to home, but I'll I'll leave that for for another day. <laughs> yeah, I would I would say Nuno if if I was looking at this. Uh, seems to me like he would be a sensible choice. I mean, he's he's achieved a lot at Wolves, and they're clearly having an incredible season with, you know, a, a fairly talented squad, but, you know, nothing that would approach where, where Chelsea's at, and yet they've taken a game from us and, and had a really, you know, we're lucky. We were lucky to escape with a draw in the, in the home leg. And I've watched his videos. If you guys are really interested in, like, the tactical side of the game, the – Coach's voice does a lot of interviews where they'll, you know, kind of put a board in front of the coaches and ask them to recreate moments or tactics or, you know, go through their thinking on on big matches. And Nuno's are very, very interesting, just the way he approaches the game. I think he kind of comes off as a quiet type of guy, Dan, but you can tell that there's a burning desire to win there, even though he might not be the you know, the most uh, Antonio Conte fist pump style manager that in, in the Premier League. He's he's super interesting to me. You know what's attractive football? Winning football is attractive football. And uh, what Nuno has done is not only has he found ways to win against, you know, equal level competition, he's also found ways to get results against some of the best teams when you would argue that his side is not equipped to to do so based upon just roster to roster or wage bill to wage bill matchup. So, uh, yeah, I think there's uh, some thoughts there. I think, obviously, uh, pulling for Porto is potentially a good idea, too. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm not surprised we'll need to go back for another um, manager and uh, or another coach, and hopefully we just uh, you know get someone who understands exactly what they're working with and can consider with working with more than 14 players for the entirety of the season. Yeah, I mean, Wolves, like, at the beginning of April, they were third as far as playing the top six. If you had a table of only points were from playing the top six, Wolves were in third, okay, behind Man City and Liverpool. Um, everyone loves uh, a manager with Premier League experience, you know, just because you can prove you've done it. Um, I think what was great about Wolves is, even as Spirits did not have, with, with Nuno, he's he's got swagger to him as well, right? And I think that like he has a bit of that arrogance that reminds us of the the first time Jose Mourinho was at the club. And I think that the fans really love that. They really want to see that out of a manager. Um, but at least with him, you know you're going to get some attacking, exciting football as well as the pragmatic, let's set up to get a result kind of a kind of a deal. So it'll be interesting. We'll we'll have to see what happens. Uh, I'm sure Mauricio Sarri will probably end up signing a two year extension just to really throw us all for for an absolute oh, wild one. On. All right, Randy Busby trolling since episode one. Uh, Pablo underscore Tuscabar says, "Do we have a decent enough team?" to be able to compete in the Champions League next season. Obviously, this is an assumption if we make it. I think it's interesting because at Danny Does says, the nine-month-long slog to qualify for Champions League sure feels somewhat pointless, knowing full well we don't even have a glimmer of hope to do well in the competition next season. If you ignore the finances, would we be better off with another year in the Europa League trying to bring through no. some of the players? The answer is no, 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 no. 
ridiculous statement. Uh, we we need to we need to save the wallowing for if we actually miss out on on fourth place and you know try and give it two more games before we're just shitting absolutely on this team. You know, I know it's scary and nobody wants to think about this team without a transfer window, but you know, we're still in a position which we very well could appeal it. So, uh, you know, it's all fun and games to be upset about today's performance, but like let's have a little bit of faith in our club. Well, also I th- so I think I tracked this Twitter convo with with Danny and Joe and and Joe you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the point Danny was making is that we would probably depending upon our current squad level would get knocked out very early out of the Champions League and if we had a manager that understood competition level that we potentially would end up with more matches and more minutes to potentially disperse and then develop some players more quickly. So I guess is that something you would take into consideration when thinking about like are we able to actually compete in the Champions League and will we would we go far enough to have it be worthwhile or like is there a level of like worthwhile element to it beyond just the the monetary and obviously player attraction if we're going to end up potentially having the band stayed. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it is is definitely around the angle of of giving minutes to players. Um, I still don't think that I would intentionally take Europa League football over over Champions League football. Um, and again, I mean, you know, the, the monetary angle is pretty significant in this, but it's also the level of competition as well. You know, you need the club to to see, you know, if we are miles away from, from where we were previously, you know, you need the club to actually physically see this in certain matches. If we qualify from our group and and draw, I don't know, Juventus or PSG or someone and they absolutely murder us, then, you know, that's fine. You know, we're not up to that level. But I think in some cases, I think one of the things that the club is guilty of is, is kind of overrating the players and the squad that we have. I think if we were to go in and get kind of obliterated, then obviously that sends a very clear message that, you know, the, the team isn't good enough, that investment is needed. Um, you know, th- there is some kind of, you know, some benefit to, unfortunately, you know, proving some of the points that I think many fans and, and maybe even some managers have made over the past few seasons about the level in the squad. So, I mean, that's a, a really kind of nihilistic uh, benefit of, of being in the Champions League. But, you know, when, when you're there, you want to win, you know, and, uh, you know, we've been perennial kind of semi-finalists and quarter-finalists and being in the final and stuff like that. So, to go in just to make up the numbers would be pretty disappointing. Um, but, I mean, it, it comes down to really sort of what, what next season is going to be. You know, if it is a, a question of if we've got you know rid of a lot of deadwood and we're trying to develop a number of young players, maybe it does make sense to do that in the Europa League. You can give them more minutes. You can give them, you know, some more consistent starts and, and, and try and develop players that way. It is pretty much how this Tottenham side or where they are at the moment is because they've had a little bit of a a run in the Europa League and that's kind of where Harry Kane found his form and maybe that is some in some ways is a you know correlates to potentially Tammy Abraham getting a run of games in the Chelsea shirt and maybe scoring. So you know I, I can see I can see where he's coming from. There definitely is some some sort of method to to taking the, the Europa League route and, and hoping that we can develop players that way. The problem being obviously that you need a manager that obviously you know has uh, has faith in the young players and is willing to kind of play them in these games as well because you know, if, if we go Europa League route and we're still seeing William and Pedro and, and Giroud play up front, you know, in their sort of you know mid-30s, then it, it kind of defeats the object a bit. So, to, I mean, answer is your question. I, I don't think we've got a, a, a strong enough squad to compete in the Champions League next season. And by compete, I mean, you know, sort of get into sort of the, the quarterfinals, semifinals. Um, but, um, you know, intentionally going to the Europa League feels a little bit defeatist, but it, it might be the best route, you know, for... For developing some of the younger players in the squad, so it's it's a tricky situation. 
you know, I'm, I'm not sure really how the club will treat it. But and again, it'll be something that's hugely impacted by the potential transfer ban that we may or may not have in the summer. Could I, could I say one thing about that? Um, I, I know that there's a lot of clubs that are playing better than us in Europe, but let's let's not forget that United was a quarterfinalist and and Spurs are a semifinalist. Neither of them are playing particularly great football at the point at this point. So if they can make it into Europe, it, it's not out of the question that we could, if we sign some decent players this this summer, be competitive. Yeah, like there are so many other competitions for players to get minutes beyond the Champions League or Europa League. Like to me, that that kind of um, assessment and it's not, you know not to throw shade at anyone, but it just if you have the ability to play in Champions League, that's the way you attract the best players. That's the way you get more money. That's the way you get all this stuff. It like you absolutely have to do it. And like Joe said, let's pretend we get just absolutely smashed in the round of sixteen, which is. Uh, to me, not an unlikely scenario by any means. Like, at least you know. At least you know that's your level instead of us just hypothesizing about it right now when we have no earthly idea. I mean, Mike just made a really good point, too. Like, you're, the way that the teams have to balance in the Premier League, Brandon, the, their league form, their FA Cup form, and their Champions League form means that a lot of different decisions get made on playing time and rosters and all that other stuff you know, to set themselves up the best way possible. And it doesn't mean, you know, it, it certainly for Spurs, like they made a conscious choice to go for it in the Champions League. So, you know, their league form has suffered because of it. And they, you know, are not in the FA Cup final, but, you know, they they had to make a choice because their roster wasn't that deep. Now, you know, they're kind of on the verge of being in the final. So, you know, again, there are just too many different good things that can happen by being in the Champions League that you you absolutely cannot sacrifice Tuesday and Wednesday for Thursday. It's ridiculous. No more Sunday games, please. <laughs> no more no, Sunday yeah, games. Yeah, and it screws up. Yeah, <laughs> Sunday games. All right. Well, here's something that should be easy to solve. Next year's striker. So at Matt Davies Adams saying, if the transfer ban stays in place, who would you have as your top number nine, your starter Next season, Iguain, Giroud, Mishi, or Tammy. What do you think about that, Tweeds? I'm I'm biased. <laughs> I'm massively biased here. Um, you I mean, love a good Mishi. I, I, I got. I love a good Mishi. <laughs> I, I'm I'm just gonna positively. You know, it won't be Higuarin. Like of, of all of the answers that I can give, Higuarin is is like he's more likely to play for the women's team up front than he is for the men's oh. team. Oh and he's God. not starting over uh, Fran. No. Uh-uh. Yeah, or or Beth England. It's not happening. Probably on the bench for them as well. They're much better than him. Um I would go I'm I'm going Tammy Abraham. And I think it's partly at this point is that no one can really give me a super answer as to why he can't play. And I get all of the competition. It's you know, he's playing in the championship and yada 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 and Swansea and whatever this is. He has the best attitude of a centre forward that I've seen, at least amongst this group of players here. You know, you've got people talking and waxing lyrical about him. John Terry is raving about this guy in training and and his application and his work rate. And and if you've watched him this season, you know he does everything that you want a centre forward to do. He can hold the ball up against very physical centre backs. He makes runs in behind. He can come short. He can play out wide. He obviously scores lots of goals. Um, you know, I think he's I think he's earned his opportunity, and you know, Giroud for me is someone I would like to keep around. I don't know if at 33 or whatever he's going to be next season, that he's sort of your every week guy. And, and and Michi I do like, but you know, I think there's a reason that he's he's not really been able to nail a 
starting place down in, in any of the teams he's been on loan. Um, you know, and, and even when he did did well at Dortmund, for example, there wasn't a massive clamour for them to sign him and the same at Palace. You know, I think he's he's been dropped out of the team a little bit recently. So gonna have to go with, with Tammy. And I think actually, you know, if if he's if we've got the ability to sign sign someone, I think Tammy is an excellent number two because I think he gives you a lot of variety in terms of his skill set and, and hopefully for him, you know, I think if, if he can have a little bit of a just a, an upgrade in some some sort of minor areas in his game, then, then maybe he becomes a very good sort of second option and rotation option in the squad. But but for me, it's uh, it's Mr. Abraham. So Nick, I maybe just haven't been paying attention, but according to this app, he's started all 37 matches for Villa in the championship. Yep. And he has 25 goals. He's scoring a goal every yep. 0.67 matches. Um, yeah, like you said, his, his stats kind of speak for themselves at that level. So did Bamford's, though, which kind of worries you, right? A little bit. So, I mean, Joe, from a rebuttal standpoint, is talk me through Tammy. Is he going to be a link-up striker? Is he going to uh, you know, be the one finishing him off himself? What's his play style like? He's pretty tall, I know that. So, I mean, he's he's a very physical player. Um, I think this has been probably this season with Villa the biggest kind of compliment to his game is that he can he can lead the line. And when you're playing against championship centre-backs, you are playing against some incredibly physical, typically sort of English-style players. And he holds his own. You know, he's he has excellent feet for someone of his size. He's very skillful. Um, I think he links play well. I mean, he's, he's undoubtedly, he's a finisher, he, you know, he he scores a lot of goals, a lot of I'm not gonna say tappings, but I mean, you know, he he has that instinctual kind of play about his game where he's always in the right place. Um I think he's he's great in the air. I, mean, I think that's again something that he's been working on this season that he's got a lot better at. Um but I, I just think it's the other thing as well, is his work rate without you know, without the ball is absolutely insane. You know, if you watch Villa play this season, you'll often just see him just charging around up front in terms of, you know, sort of closing the ball down and winning the ball back. And, you know, I think he's he's got a very good relationship with Jack Grealish, who, again, is is a player that I think potentially, if Villa don't come up this season, the Premier League will definitely, Premier League clubs will definitely be looking to buy. Um, you know, he's he's been credited, or Grealish has credited Abraham you know, in terms of being that sort of link player, that kind of foil, that sort of reference point as being a player that's helped him improve his game. Um, I think he's he's a very very well-rounded player now, um, and as, as you say, I mean his goals speak for themselves. And you know, people can talk about you know obviously Patrick Bamford, but you know Harry Kane did absolutely atrocious on loan um, in the championship. He was horrible at Millwall, horrible at Leicester Orient. I think he was played he was at Leicester on loan on the bench when they were in league uh, uh, in the championship as well. So you know it, it's not not always a barometer of of how well someone does sort of when they move to a different club. And I I, I just feel that we've with Abraham's sort of combination of work rate, his athleticism, his size, the ability that he has just, just to be in the right place to score goals, that he may never be the number one player at Chelsea, but as a number two, I think he gives you a, a really fantastic option and someone to rotate with, you know, either coming off the bench as, as that slightly more physical option um, or just leading the line and playing games. He can play in a one, he can play in a two. And, you know, I think I just think he's, he's, earned his, he's, he's earned his chance. You know, when you look at some of the players he brought in, Higuarin on loan is, is an example. Uh, why he hasn't had an opportunity is is, is crazy. Not, I, I hope you know that obviously he continues to play well for Villa, but I think that he he should be brought back and, and at least be considered the, the second option for next season. Well, at Brew underscore Barbecue kind of echoed the same thing from you. Uh, he you know he says we probably wouldn't have been much worse off with Tammy Abraham up front all season. He goes then he would have had Premier League experience, but 
I don't know if Maurizio Sarri would have played him much. I mean, that's my concern. But new season, new manager potentially, new approach, new transfer ban. He's just got a lot going for him. Uh, at, and then at Anthony Sempire saying, uh, Alonzo at striker, question mark. He can't be much slower than Iguain or Giroud, and he seems to be a better poacher. If the man can do one thing right, it's find the back of the net. I mean, Dan, we've joked about it. It honestly has to be better than that. Um, if we can send a striker i know we've talked a little bit about jovic who we're about to see firsthand um and then timo Werner. yeah i mean look uh jovic would be probably the, the the top name in the market obviously you're gonna get competition for him and then uh you know, timo has you know potentially played well on the, the the wing um as well as playing you know kind of a central position so uh that gives you some maybe some positional flexibility there but yeah i think it'll be exciting to see Jovic. Uh, I'm actually kind of terrified to see what he does to our defense at the moment, Joe, because I think, yeah, I mean, if we, we wanted a better way to scout him, I think this is probably the, the best opportunity to scout him and uh, hopefully figure out if we can secure his uh, his signature in the summer if we do, uh, you know, swerve the ban. Yeah, and actually it's interesting because his strike partner, um, Sebastian Haller, is someone that I also really, really like. And I think he's he's someone who might be a little bit more obtainable if, if you know, all of the top clubs are going for Jovic. So it's going to be fascinating to see both of them uh, play against Chelsea. Uh, Haller reminds me of a, a Drogba, a sort of David Trezeguet kind of type centre-forward. Now, he, he really is sort of someone who does bring people into games. He's got a lot of assists. He's got a lot of key passes, scores an awful lot of goals as well. You know, I think if you watch a lot of uh, Jovic's goals, a lot of the knockdowns, you know, sort of the the sort of the free balls and stuff that he finishes or the headers and stuff that he he sort of finishes in terms of passes come from this Haller guy. So it's going to be interesting to see them play against, uh, obviously, probably I would imagine Rudiger if he's fit um, and, and Louise. Um, but yeah, you know, and the other guy, Rebic, the sort of Croatian sort of number 10, they have floating in behind them. Again, another excellent player. So a real, real kind of test. I mean, the, the good news is I, I don't think Frankfurt are the best team defensively. Um, but they do have, as you say, two of probably the most kind of informed and desired strikers in Europe at the moment. So yeah, it's it's going to be a huge test for us. I would I would quickly say on like as you're as you're all going through the strikers you'd want to see at Chelsea in your head, a couple of key questions have to be a part of that decision making process. One, who who is the manager in your scenario, and and what style does that manager typically employ? Because you you need to find a fit there, and then two is this a striker who needs a bunch of service a la like an Iguain, um, who is, who's someone who can hit it, you know, typically hard whenever he gets the chance, but is not creating for himself. Or is this someone who can help, you know, much like Giroud bring other people in the, into the game and hopefully has a better goal scoring record than Giroud's had for us. Like, I think there are a few different, you know, scenarios that you'd want to build out in your head. And I think I would lean more towards uh, the link up, type play person because I'm also looking at the talent on our roster and I don't, you know, once hazard goes and that's just the scenario I'm building in my head, uh, we don't really have another assist master on the, on the squad. So I think we'll need someone who can kind of help do a little bit of both of that. Well, and if we're talking about, you know, I think one of the things we didn't speak of is, is Rudiger leaving the field without putting any weight on his, his knee. Um, that is a huge, huge loss for us, especially in the Europa League. So 
Um, it will be very, very interesting to see how Jovic plays against us. Yeah, right. The less weight you put on it, the uh, stronger you are. That's why Callum walked off under his own accord. All right, next one. That was sarcasm, no one. All right, anyways, Roman Games uh, at, I don't know how to say your Twitter handle, at Tila Balaraman saying, do you think there's credence, there's credit to the rumors that Roman has lost interest in a previous year any manager who's performed this badly would have been sent packing months ago. Nope. And then at Seb Larson OA also saying a general question. So the other day I heard a documentary, a documentary on Chelsea where it was state. Wow. Documentary. Documentary. <laughs> oh shit. <laughs> uh, where it was stated how Mourinho won his first stint and Abramovich changed CFC to become winners. My question, have we as a club, the players and the managers lost that? Though I know we won an FA Cup in a Premier League in the last two years. Um, Mike, when it comes to Roman losing interest, there's no I, we can't know. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that goes on at his level with Visa and investing a billion pounds and things that we have no idea. We don't. It, it, it is weird he hasn't been to the bridge at all this season. Yeah. Even with like the sunglasses and like fake nose and mustache, you know his his, his att- <laughs> let's be honest his attendance is does not matter on any of this. We we have heard and I can't remember which one of our guests told us that he is in contact with the club constantly. I don't buy it for a moment that somehow he doesn't care about the club or anything else. And but you know, he has to know there's a there's an appearance, right? That like we want to see him there. We want to we see do. him physically invested there's we do a, there's but, a... but again this is also a man who has always done what he feels is i mean look at the board and his, and certain other decisions he just does what he thinks is best and doesn't care what anybody else says it so if he is doing this because he wants to you know it's an issue in which he wants to give the, the finger to the british government or, or whatever else is going on that that's his thing but i think to Pretend that somehow he does not care about our club, that he's not investing millions of dollars, or that, like I said, it's been a tough season. But what were our goals? Top four and and uh, a trophy. And we're still in the running. I know it doesn't feel like that right now. I know it's not great, but I, I just I don't I don't buy it that that Roman doesn't care because that would stand in everything we've seen. That's just. That's my two cents, but I don't buy it at all. I agree with that. I, Joe, I would love to hear your opinion on this, but I mean, just just because like Roman doesn't have to be anywhere Roman doesn't want to be. That's what happens when you're a billionaire. Like you can you can stream games just like the rest of us. Is it, two is years it from yacht? Your, is from it? Your, from your all, mega all yacht. your experience uh, yeah. that you have with being a billionaire. You guys know that I had a huge fall from grace. Um, <laughs> and uh, no, I just, I, you know, look, he has been notoriously private as a, as a person. Like he's, I think he had two or three total interviews in 16 years of owning the club, you know, like, so it's just, it's it's a little frustrating that you know we don't hear more from him personally. I w- I would like that because I think it sends a message. But he doesn't have to do anything he doesn't want to do, right, Joe? Yeah, I mean, I find some of the text interesting. I mean, th- this is a guy who who broke the the world record fee for a goalkeeper like nine months ago, and then spent probably which was I think at the time 
the, the highest fee on a, on a holding midfield player that, that again has ever been spent. And you know that this is a guy who apparently is has lost interest at the club. Um, as far as I'm aware, the situation with his his visa, you know, he he has now an Israeli passport that that allows him to travel to the UK, but he doesn't want to mess up any potential permanent residency status that he he's obviously looking to get um, just by by coming in on this on this particular sort of passport and visa that he has. So, you know, I think again, you know. If he didn't particularly care about the club, I don't think he would be so deliberate in in how he's going about trying to to obtain this this sort of you know kind of citizenship status that he had previously. Again, um, and equally, you know, just just going back to the season, you don't spend seventy million pounds on a goalkeeper, you know, if you're not committed to the to the club. You don't sanction those sorts of moves. Um, you know, there are a lot of a lot of rumours that people are trying to buy the club, etc. You know, from from in sort of the line of work that I have and friends who who work in particular companies, you know, he has been been looking for investment into the club rather than looking to sell it, and, and that comes from people that were hired to to look for additional investment for the for the saving funding. Some of my friends who are asset managers over there were were looking at that particular deal, and that's something that again, you know, you, you can sort of Google and validate some of this stuff if you want to. But you know, a lot of these sort of signals point to Abramovich not particularly losing interest, and and again, you know, his his legacy will always be that, that he wants to hand the football club over to his son at some point. You know, that has always been something which I feel, you know, often goes under under the radar is that, you know, his son is, is someone who probably will inherit Chelsea as his particular, you know, sort of Peter the of the Abramovich pie per se. But you know, I, I don't think he's he's lost interest. Um yeah, it would be great if he if he communicated more. Yes, it would be great if he was back at games. Um but, you know, I think again, you know, you have to sort of weigh in that I think there are probably some some tricky sort of personal situations and some sort of tricky personal circumstances that he's going through. Obviously, sort of there are tensions between the Russian government and the UK government as well. So there's, there's lots of stuff beyond Chelsea going on in his life at the moment, which I think probably have to take precedence because, you know, it, it's his it's his livelihood, it's his family, etc. that are that are being sort of obviously, you know, kind of put in under some sort of scrutiny here. So I, I don't blame him for not being around as much per se. Um but I, I do take sort of some on which people suggesting that he's not as interested. And the other thing as well, if he does sell up to to another billionaire, you know, there's this wild idea that this person could just come in and start throwing, you know, two hundred billion pounds at players. It's, it doesn't work like that these days. We know Chelsea operate under financial fair play constraints. We've we've taken them very seriously. So at best, you're just going to get a change in, you know, sort of the board who runs the club, which some people may say is is worthwhile. But you know, it's it's not a guarantee that that is going to be a success. So. You know, I think people should maybe, you know, sort of take a bit of a deep breath and a step back and look at what Abramovich has done for the club. You know, sort of, you know, the scenarios after Abramovich aren't necessarily always going to be fantastic. I'm looking at Arsenal in particular, you know, that that they're kind of fall from grace that they've had um, from being one of the sort of, you know, perennial sort of Premier League winners. And, and you know, it's not always going to be a, a situation like at Liverpool where they've suddenly discovered how to run a football club properly over the last couple of years. So, yeah, you know, it's it's a long way to say. I, I don't I don't think his his uh, you know interest has waned at all. I think it, it's it's as strong as it ever has been. I just think it's a little less you know difficult, or it's it's more difficult, to, I should say, to to show it when you're trying to sort of you know play this sort of cat and mouse game with, with the UK government, which unfortunately seems to be something that, that that's dragging on and on. But yeah, I, I don't think his his interest has waned at all. I think it's a it really is an out of sight, out of mind type of scenario, and I think the the absence has led to the questions and. What sells a newspaper or clicks better exactly. than something that ends with a question mark? So Roman Abramovich committed to Chelsea question mark. 
sells way better than Roman Abramovich committed to Chelsea, period. So, uh, you know, I would imagine that, you know, if we obviously we have not seen him in the UK, does not mean that he could not make it to Boston for the final whistle for hate. And that's not with any type of knowledge or kind of preview of information. I'm just saying, you know, it's an event that's very personal to right. him as well as the connection with Robert Kraft and the donation that they're both making in, you know, and basically in fight and defiance against anti-Semitism. So I, I think that ultimately like it, you know, that would potentially be maybe the next time you see Abramovich, you know, publicly, you know, kind of supporting and recognizing Chelsea and, you know, after, uh, you know, obviously the narrative and the kind of the context that Joe's provided. Well said, Dan. I I, I was going to make the same point. Does a disinterested owner attempt to change the, the climate and the culture of the club in, in the way that we've seen uh, this year and the previous years? He's trying to make a, a, a change to, you know, to our fans and everything else. And, and if you don't care and you're just going to sell the club and walk away, why invest any of that time or energy? So I, I, I definitely think that he is very much uh, he cares very much about this club. We miss you, Big Daddy Roman. That's all we're saying. Um, the the last one which I am, am intrigued by is at Keir Doyle. Should Chelsea cut their losses with Kepa and try again at the next available opportunity? What the <laughs> hell are you talking about? What losses do you see, Kieran? Like, I like you. We could be friends, but what are you talking about? Kepa's a great young goalkeeper who has had a couple of, you know, errors this season. But, I mean, contrast that right now with David De Gea's form, and he he looks world class. So, I, like, what, what, are we, what are we talking about? Like, of all the positions on the field, goalkeeper is not a primary concern for me. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how you guys feel, but it's a weird well, one. Have, have you seen the quality or the sometimes lack of positioning our defense has had this season? Preach. Like, I mean, it, it's, it works in tandem, right? Like a great defense can help sometimes paper over a good to average goalkeeper. And sometimes a great goalkeeper can, you know, plaster over the issues with a average defense. But when you have a middling to, you know, not as effective as they could be defense, um, that is going to make life harder on any goalkeeper, especially in their first season, especially one who is uh, not as tall as others that we've had previously. And that has been a challenge in some scenarios. I know Brandon has pulled that up over a couple of uh, goals that maybe he would have gotten to, but I mean, I think he's also made some pretty special saves that have kept us in it this season. So uh, yeah, I'm not going to, uh, you know, I want to continue to see how he develops at Chelsea and uh, you know, Hey, if Petr Cech comes back, he can, uh, you know, absorb some more learnings from the uh, the great one. All right, here you go. Keppa versus Ederson this season. Uh, shout out to Yannick on Chelsea or at Chelsea Yannick uh, for posting this. But he said, uh, clean sheets, Keppa 13, Ederson 19. Obviously, City has a superior de- defensive backline to Chelsea. Saves made, Keppa 75, Ederson 50. Saves per match, Keppa 2.14, Ederson 1.39. Save success percent, Keppa 68. Ederson 69 penalty saved Keppa one of two Ederson none of four and he ends his tweet with both superb period uh you know what I think we can go ahead and um just let's close the book on finish it. that one out uh and then real quick uh Joe you can kind of wrap us up with a little Frankfurt Eintracht 
preview. Obviously, that is our next match in the Europa League, and it will be this Thursday, May 2nd. Um, again, you sounded super excited to play them on the FanCast last time, uh, so I just want to let you kind of uh, <laughs> dribble in that a little bit. Yeah, I, th- I think, personally, it's it's an opportunity to see two young forwards that I've, I've been looking at this season and, and just sort of... I suppose gauge how they look against Premier League opposition. Um, I think many people will know about Luka Jovic, um, incredibly talented forward, um, bit of a, a Suarez, Aguero type striker, ability to to score off both feet efficiently, um, good in the air for his size, sort of strong, stocky, powerful. Um, you know, I think he's been a bit of a revelation this season, and obviously there will be will be questions around whether he's a one season wonder or whatever, but I think generally from his, from his style of play, you know, his, his close control, his technique, I think that he is going to be someone who's going to be very much in demand this summer and obviously looking forward to see him. The other guy up front, Sebastian Haller, um, someone who I particularly like, because I just think he looks like the, the perfect centre forward that, that you would want in the Premier League. He's tall. I think he's like one metre 90, so six, three or something like that. Um, you know, good good build, good physicality, you know, very, very good uh, sort of feet and technical ability for someone of his height. Of his height. Um, scores in the air, scores left foot, right foot. You know, he's a, he's the penalty taker. So obviously, you know, pretty much considered to be the one of the better finishers um, at, at Frankfurt. And his partnership with Jovic is, is pretty special because, you know, it's not often... Uh, in Europe, at least, that you see uh, that many teams that play with with two out and out strikers, and you know they will pose I, us problems. I, I thought that was illegal, though. I didn't think it you is could illegal. Do that. Absolutely okay. illegal. Yeah, <laughs> okay. yeah. So you know, sorry, may may try and make a complaint before the beginning of the game that they <laughs> they've got some strikers on the pitch, um, and not not, not a, and they don't have a register, and that, that you know that, that there are there are differences <laughs> to how they play. But yeah, I mean, it'd be, be interesting to, to to really see how they do against against Chelsea. Um, they normally play with with three at the back, and you know, sort of a, a bit of a sort of throwback to, to Conte as well. So it'd be interesting to see how they actually line up against us. And and to sort of top it off, they have uh, Ante Rebic, who's sort of a number ten. It's very very hardworking. Got quite a few assists this season from memory. Um, always seems to be kind of in and around the ball, and and just one of these players. That I think probably again will will mark Jorginho, but will we'll cause him a lot of problems off the back of it because he he, he links fantastically with, with Jovic and, and Haller. Um, they've been an interesting team to watch this season. You know, obviously, I think Benfica were, were you know, for a lot of people, one of sort of the, the, the darling teams of the Europa League with João Felix and Felipe and all these sorts of players that they have playing for them. Um, the fact that, that Frankfurt beat them, you know, was, was a pretty uh, interesting sort of result, I suppose, in, in the Europa League. So, I am looking forward to seeing them play against us, and uh, yeah, I, I would hope that jo, you know Jovic, being Serbian, you know, big, obviously a big fan of Branislav Ivanovic and Matic when they've been here. So hopefully that that, that goes in our favour. But yeah, I think it's an opportunity to to sort of test um, Jovic. I think probably is, will be the number one target for a lot of clubs this season. Um, but the one that I'm I'm interested in seeing how Sebastian Haller does because I think if he plays well against us, I think that's an indication that he could be someone that's a little bit under the radar that we could sign. Um, potentially to, to to lead the line because he is he's sort of everything that you, that you want in that sort of mid, sort of modern physical centre forward. You know he's a great finisher, really really good in the air, strong in the air, brings players into game really efficiently. You know a lot more technically gifted than than a lot of players of his size as well. And you know he's he's not very bulky, he's lean, he's quick. So it's going to be interesting to see how he plays. So yeah, overall I'm, I'm interested to see how they do. Um, 
I think our, our main sort of obviously threat will be that that, that, that defensively they're okay. You know, they're, they're not sort of a, a really sort of strict or disciplined side defensively. They're more about creating opportunities for their front three. Um, so if we can get at them, that will be nice. I think Hazard will have joy. Um, the right-hand side, dead from at least from the, the sort of games that I've seen this season, isn't that spectacular. So I hope Hazard is is fit and firing. Um, but yeah, should be an interesting game. And, and, and like I said, I think the, there are uh, definitely a few interesting prospects on their side. But I think, again... You know, if we can if we can quiet them, which is going to be difficult because they have scored quite a few goals in this competition this season, um, then we have every opportunity to play on the break against them. Particularly, I think through Hazard, um, if Hazard's fit and firing, and I think we should we should be okay. But again, it's it's going to be the toughest match we've had in this competition so far. They are a very good team. They've got some very good forwards, and you know, again, if if Rudiger isn't fit, you know, it's going to be a little bit of a tricky one because I think we we probably need his pace. Um, at the back because Jovic is quick and so is Haller and uh, obviously if they're going to push very very directly upon Louise and maybe Christensen it'll be interesting to see how that happens because uh, yeah you know I think Jovic and, and Haller are going to have the physicality edge on Christensen probably not on Louise but uh, we're going to have one of have one of their forwards is going to be very very difficult to, to contend with so yeah hopeful but it, it will be a tricky game all right we'll have to see Alonzo might play just for his height uh, and especially if Emerson's still hurt a lot of things to take into that. Uh, anyways, gentlemen, that will wrap us up. As always, Tweeds, my man. Double shift this week. We appreciate that. Uh, but Nick, anything you want to wrap up with before we head out? Uh, I think, look, if if you're if you're kind of having your own, like, what, what would I do if I was the manager moment with these essentially four guaranteed games left, maybe five with the Europa League final? I, I don't know if Sarri has this in him. I would hope he does. I mean, he is so close. You know, he's three games away from from winning a trophy for the first time in his career. I would hope that he could find the spark or the piece of inspiration or something that that would get these guys going. I just watched the NBC Sports United treble documentary they did, which was incredibly well done. And it always seemed like Sir Alex Ferguson had a way to inspire one or two people per match to go do something above what they had been doing or, or to get them inspired to be the the next guy who was going to come into the match as a substitute and to, to go prove him wrong. And like, I think there's just a lot of different motivational tactics that I'm looking at right now, just beyond the, you know, relatively poor play on the field that I think are needed. Um, so I'm hoping that he can get the best out of these guys and, you know, especially if we're walking wounded, we need some players to step up. So that that's kind of what I have. Uh, Mike? I, you know, I, I kind of want to give a shout out to both uh, Rudiger and Alonso for the goal today. I think our defense has been much maligned, but Rudiger seeing that he had space and was invited to step up and just ripping a rocket um, and, and Alonso being the only player running into the box to follow up a shot. You know, those are base, those are the basic things that we're taught when we're playing Um and I'm glad to see that we were able to get one back from, you know, what's very intelligent football, in my opinion. So I think uh, with all the shit that gets said about Alonzo, um, he saved our ass today. And people should uh, cut the uh, Alonso bullshit because I'm pretty sure he beat most of you in a foot race and he saved us today. So shout out to him. Damn, good luck following that up, Dan. Oh, no, I've got a, uh, a sad and happy type of scenario because obviously Chelsea is more than just the men's first team. Uh, very sad that uh, Emma Hayes and the Chelsea women were not able to beat 
uh, Lyon as they brought back home the tie and were just uh, one goal shy of uh, bringing it to a 3-3 at full time. A lot of great efforts, a lot of great shots in the match, but unfortunately just weren't able to convert. But uh, really great heart determination to go up against the best women's side in Europe, potentially the world, and uh, not you know just be really kind of a one or two goals uh, off the mark there. Uh, unfortunately, because Arsenal are going to win the um, win the league, uh, Arsenal women are winning the league. Uh, the Chelsea women will not actually be going back into the Champions League next season, which is a huge bummer disappointment. But uh, we know that Emma and the team will strategize on how they get back there very quickly. And then the positive being that the Chelsea U19s uh, went to penalties against Barcelona and won. So huge shout out to Joe Edwards and the boys for getting that accomplished because that was a great penalty shootout. And uh, yeah, that was uh, was quite excellent. So uh, Zyger, well done. All right. Well, you know what? I think I think we did well, boys. Two pods in two days. Again, Tweeds, super excited that you were staying up late to hang out with us. Uh, and we look forward to connecting with you again soon. So make sure to go follow him uh, on social and give him all the love that he deserves. Uh, that's going to wrap it up again. If you haven't listened to part one, go back and do it. Um, Thursday afternoon match for those of you in the States, everyone else around the world, check your local listings so you can figure out when it's going to be at. But until next time, Chelsea fans, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high.